Hi guys, welcome back to the Nursing Handover podcast. It's your girl Jerry and Diane, and we're here with you with our second episode. So, week oh, episode one has been out. We've had some really good feedback from pretty much everyone that's listened. So, thank you guys, and please keep getting in touch with us with what you want to hear, how you think we should be doing this, because this is, like we said, this is for you and us. So. Feel free to chime in whenever you guys feel like it. And we can take it from there. So, hey, Didi, how are you today? (laughs) (laughs) Ready for quarantine to be over. I don't blame you. If I I hear coronavirus again, I'm going to scream. I think quarantine life is a big challenge. Having to be at home, I would say 24-7 more or less, not trying to leave the house too much definitely weighs on you I think emotionally and mentally so it definitely has an impact um especially being on annual leave normally you'd have all the time in the world to do all the things you want to do and kind of now you're are restricted to do those things so definitely as strange as it may sound I kind of welcome going back to work so I can kind of have some kind of normality back makes sense like I've been on annual leave this week please tell me what I've done it's really difficult and I think because you're in the home and you now have lockdown measures in Mm. place it does make you have to change how you think about things what you want to do with your day how are you making the most of your day Mm. I definitely think it's made me think I need to structure the day a bit more 100% I would just use the day more wisely as opposed to just binging on Netflix or walking to the fridge 10,000 times yeah and also having everyone home has been such a challenging aspect. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of family bonding, getting to know yourself and them. Yeah. And obviously listening to episodes of the podcast, so. Yeah. Oh, man. You've got to keep quarantine cute. Somehow, some way. Got to keep it cute. But yeah. So guys, we're going to dig deep into the first we've got quite a few topics to get through today yeah and our first one is to do with student nurses how they're feeling in this aspect Mm -hmm. student nurses alongside newly qualified nurses because this is a scary time for everyone and especially for them third years that are being put on the emergency register I don't know what I'd be doing Thinking to like what five years ago when we qualified, mm. I honestly don't know what I'd be doing. I'd probably be hiding in some cupboard somewhere, pretending like I don't exist. It's definitely a challenge to give the non healthcare listeners an insight. So, a student nurse trains for three years if they're doing a traditional course, which is the BSc degree pathway. Um, you do have the PG DIT, which stands for the Postgraduate Diploma, which nurses can take two years to do that course. Mm. So all these students have all been training for three years or two years. And obviously that's involved very many different aspects of testing, essays, seminars, lectures. Placements. And placement. I think the biggest issue at the moment is now placements. Yeah. So the main issue, and I think the reason why the concern of student nurses is being red flagged and highlighted so much, Mm. is because they are just about to qualify. So they're right in the middle of, yes, you know what you're doing. Yes, you're competent, but you're also 
about to be registered. So you're just running the race. You're not at the finishing line quite yet, but you're nearly there. Yeah, this That's is like where they time, are. No? Like dissertation time and also sub- depending on how your uni runs or how other unis have run, you might still have your final placement to go. So this is a really, te- these, these are really testing times at the moment. Yes. So like for a student nurse, you have to complete 2,300 hours, both clinically and and theory. So before you can qualify, you have to make sure you've got minimum 4,600 hours. Am I correct with that? Four thousand, yeah. So that yeah, so at least four thousand six hundred, yeah. Yeah, you can have more, but you cannot have less. Like they will not let you qualify if you've got less hours. So for them to be put onto the emergency register, I just think it's quite daunting. Because imagine being saying that you know your final placement is now a Corona ward, and you've got to do management all sorts. Obviously, I highly doubt. Depending on where you've gone and how your mentors are, and if you feel confident to uptake that then I think possibly try it but no one's saying that you've got to go out there and start leading the ward throughout testing times you do what you feel comfortable with doing if you're not 100% comfortable always feel free to ask there's nurses on the wards that are always there to help you and the same goes for newly qualifieds because I know a lot of people are being redeployed at the moment and for all you know you could be the newly qualified nurse that's left on the left on shop floor Yeah, I definitely think the issues with the emergency register that is being created so that any third years, either at the beginning of the third year placement period time or at the end, can potentially be put on the register and will be part of the workforce. They will not have a supernumerary period. Supernumerary means that you are not part of the numbers. So Mm. in a staff number for any kind of ward environment, any kind of hospital um, unit, they have to have set numbers that are safe to nurse the patients that are on that ward. Mm -hmm. So if you are a student, usually you would be exempt from the numbers. So supernumerary. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, that status will be taken from the students. Now, a lot of the guidance that you read on NMC, and NMC stands for the Nursing Midwifery Council, a lot of their guidance says that it will be optional and student nurses will not be made to feel they have to join this register. Yeah. But I think Jerry would agree that I kind of feel like as nurses, you almost feel obliged to help. Yeah, you can't really say no. How can you? Nursing is such a caring profession. How can you turn around and be like, no, sir, I will not be helping. I will not be attending my days of placement. I will not be coming to work. Like, you you work in a team. And even if you were going back to a department or unit that you've been already, you just feel bad to let down a team. However, guys, this is not something that, you know, anyone could have foreseen or planned. It's just kind of happened. So everything is forever changing. And the last thing I and the last thing I don't want you to feel is feel like you've just been neglected and thrown out there. So I strongly believe this is a choice. And if you do feel like you want to go out and help, please do. If you do not feel like you're ready, do not put yourself in that predicament. Because it's not fair on you, it's not fair on your patients, and it's not fair on the other staff members that you will be with. Because without sounding mean, you'll be more of a liability than a help. Yes, and again, this will affect your confidence as a nurse. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times when we are nursing our patients, it's the confidence that spurs you on. It's what motivates you to be at your best, even when you're unsure, 
if you're confident and walk into it feeling that you know what you're doing, you can always perform at your best. And I think this kind of environment can really test you and not and knock that confidence and that kind of, you know, trying to pep talk yourself and make yourself feel like, okay, I've got this, I can do this, I have an idea. Um, I think one of the things that I've seen a lot on um, Instagram, on a lot of nursing pages, is the fear that people tend to have of the qualified experienced nurses being taken onto the COVID-19 wards and the newly qualified and the accelerated student nurses on the emergency register now having to run these, should we say, normal general wards. Having to have that responsibility, having to have that accountability when you still are just jumping into the pool of nursing, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that in itself can be appreciated to be quite a challenge. And I'm sure, I'm sure the band sevens, the matrons, the line managers, that's where they're obviously supposed to come in and I hope will be coming in. Yeah. To give support if that does happen to be the case. Because again, COVID-19 is an ongoing situation and everything is constantly being reviewed. And I think, again, that is probably what's also throwing people is one minute. It's the ever-changing guidelines. Because like last week when I was at work, or not even last week, about two weeks ago, the guidelines were changing pretty much every 12 hours every 12 hours to every day you'd come in go to a safety huddle and you know the guidelines have changed the following day go to a safety huddle the guidelines have changed again so like you guys just have to try your hardest and remain up to date and I really hope that your managers and matrons are disseminating this information to you as it's being changed so frantically and it is scary and it is it is quite difficult because you you're unsure of what you can and what you can't do for example um, I did a bank shift over the weekend in A&E and throughout the entire day we weren't told to wear masks and then till what about 6pm we got to- we got told that okay everyone's got to wear FFP I can never remember FFPP3 FPP3 whatever those respiratory masks you didn't have to wear them for the time that you're in A&E and even like how would you know unless someone from above hasn't come to tell you mm. But I think it's just getting quite daunting. But as a student nurse, I think you need to make the ultimate decision whether you feel confident enough to go. In other words, this is pretty much your time to shine. If you feel ready and confident enough. For example, if if you are going back onto a certain ward and you know it and you know the staff members, then fine. We don't want you to feel like you've been pressured into doing something that you're not 100% comfortable with. And even the same way for newly qualified nurses, I think you need to be very vocal with your line managers, matrons, ADONs and DONs. Oh, for people that don't know what ADONs and DONs means, um, ADON is Assistant Directors of Nursing and DONs is Directors of Nursing. So that would be pretty much be like under the field you work. So for children's and women, there'll be women and women and children's. Mm. Or for A&E, it's usually emergency medicine and acute medicine uh, and so forth and so forth. But I think, again, you need to be quite vocal and just say where you where your limitations are and what you can and can't do. And, for example, for newly qualified, I'd say if you're already in that field, please, 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 please lean on your 
other nurses, whether it's your fives, your sixes, your sevens, whoever. Because at the end of the day, you are one team. If one of you go down, you all go down. So I think together, you guys need to stay as a... As, I think you need to be quite open and just say, guys, I've never done this before. I'm more than happy to learn. I know it's a busy time. Is it all right if I just tag along with you and watch you do this? So that when the next one comes, you know, you're geared up to do it. No one, no one will ever leave you on your own. And if you say you need help, people will always be there to help you. I think you just need to be, need to understand what you feel like you can and you can't do. Def- what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think it's important to highlight that nurses and the student nurses and the nursing associates, which is a new role now in nursing, they're not just based within the hospital. So you do have the community role. So you do have your health visitors who are registered nurses. You have community nurses who go out and see children for end of life. You have safeguarding teams. There are many dynamics to nursing definitely many roles you have your mental health nurses your learning disability nurses so many of these people are being highly affected and of course in all of these denominations of nursing they will have students so again everybody is being impacted in very many different ways um it will be very interesting to hear from more of the community nurses or any students in those placements at the moment just to find out what is actually happening to them. Yeah. Will they be expected to continue? And if they're going to continue, how will that happen? Um, how are they being supported with that? And also, it'll be nice to hear if anybody actually wants to go and help. Mm-hmm. Because there's some people who really want to go and be part of this once-in-a-lifetime situation, as intimidating as it is, as unpredictable as it is there are some people i won't say who crave this because nobody would crave this but are driven by adrenaline or driven Mm -hmm. by the need to help people so that would be really nice to hear how people you know i get you yeah yeah you get what i'm saying you Mm -hmm. get where i'm going with this so i would say student nurses at present in crisis because I think that's kind of what it is now if student nurses in in crisis there's a kind of a despair there's a kind of a what are we doing where are we going we're all in crisis definitely (laughs) but I think there's always these elements of will we finish when will we finish Mm -hmm. you know we're going to stop the placement now but when will it carry on kind Mm -hmm. of thing and I think that's the other thing to be aware of guys we don't know when this is going to end if this is going to end it has to end sometime but if you choose to go out there and work, you will be working for that whole run. You can't just pick and choose like, yeah, I think I want to be a qualified nurse today. And then, you know, two weeks down the line when you've seen like a thousand coronavirus patients, you're like, oh, guys, I don't want to do this. But then saying that, that does also, again, more questions. I have a mm. lot of questions that I want this to bring about. But how will nurses feel about nursing after seeing what they see? It's this girl you have just entered into my favorite spot of nursing my main passion is about staff well-being and I think this is going to be the big test who is really who is going to be the ones to make sure that you know your team is okay or to like if something horrible has happened to to like message your staff 
and also your colleagues and be like, I know today was tough. I'm here if you want to talk. Please reach out to me this time and other. Like, I know we've got to practice social distancing and isolation and quarantining and all that jazz. However, even if it's a FaceTime or WhatsApp video call, just to have that conversation with someone, obviously it's not, we have to make the best out of a bad situation and everything you do in your spare time, like go to the spa, go swimming, go to the gym, is all shut. So we need to make the best out of a bad situation. If it means that, you know, you've got to call your colleagues and have, you know, a pedicure over the phone, then so yeah, be it. Yeah, but you can lay up at home. You can get your face mask from Amazon or eBay and sit in the sofa and shine the light in your face and feel like you're in the sun or whatever. You can join a house party like everyone's joining at the moment. <laughs> and, you know, do that. Definitely. Obviously, it's not what, you know the best thing to be there in terms of being there for your staff. But I think it's just, we have to remember that we need to be kind to each other. It's stressful situations. Horrible things will get said. Horrible things will get done. We are out there on the front line. Just like the military and the armies, when they go out, they see some really horrible stuff. And we also have to be prepared to see that. Mm. For example, many, as we all know, many people are dying from this. So, for example... Someone could be on your ward and be taken ill suddenly with query sepsis, query coronavirus, and they go just like that. I'm not saying death is something easy for people to handle, but you are going to see some very horrible stuff. You are going to have to do some very horrible stuff. Just as long as you guys do it safely, that's all we can really say. And And to to reiterate, gain that support have that outlet especially if you're you are a student and you are thinking of joining the register mm-hmm. and in the event that we do reach a state of emergency because again this emergency register though it has been spoken about and the, the nursing and midwifery council are preparing it and will invite people to join that register it's very important for people to realize that this is when we are in a state of emergency i don't think we're at that stage yet mm-hmm. but it's definitely being prepared for. Um, a lot of people have seen the video that has been going around on various social media outlets. So I received it on WhatsApp to yeah. begin with. And that is the video of the Nightingale Hospital, NHS Nightingale. In brackets, the Excel Centre. Yeah. So this, from what the person said in the video... Is going to house 4,000 beds. We'll have two morgues. And um, yeah, they're kind of trying to get it done as soon as possible. Apparently in the next week, I really don't know how this is going to happen. But they're making a way because, when was it? As of last week, like a hospital in northwest London had declared like all their beds were full of coronavirus patients. Mm. What happens now? So I feel like this is a contingency plan. There, there are many questions with this NHS Nightingale in terms of who will staff it. Um, will we have enough equipment? How will it work in general? I think it's still very up in the air. Yeah. Also, but... I know there's lots of talks of like, even with NHS Nightingale, and, like, our current hospitals that they're thinking of, like, for example, closing paediatric beds and stuff. I don't know how true this is. People do not quote me. But as we have seen that children... Yes, children are still get becoming very sick. 
but the number between children and adults is still far greater. They're, what has been going round is that they're thinking of code closing paediatric centres and making them more centralised. So you're like, your specialised places like, gosh, Evelina, where else is there? Other forms of children's hospitals will be there. So like, so Alderhey Children's Hospital in Liverpool. Or like... um, Um, Birmingham Children's Hospital. Yeah, they'll be like the main places that people, they'll see children. So to make room for everyone else, so that adult patients who are really, really sick can be looked after. This is another thing. I'm scared, man. In terms of someone telling me I need to nurse an adult patient, I have not nursed an adult patient since training. And they're pulling nurses from, like, NICUs and PICUs. For those of you that don't know what NICU and PICU is, so PICU is a paediatric intensive care unit, and NICUs is neonatal intensive care unit, and HDUs, high-dependency units. Mm. Yeah, I think that's where the the nurse anxiety comes from the element of being taken out of your normality and being thrown into a different environment mm-hmm. and having to kind of just get on with it because if you do know nurses nurses hate to be a nuisance <laughs> nurses <laughs> like to just do their job and do it well yeah and you know look after a patient and keep them stable for their fellow colleagues to come and continue the care mm. so nobody ever wants to be thrown into an environment where they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel safe, they're not familiar with their surroundings. And I think we're going to hear a lot of nurses saying, I've been deployed from the community. You're going to hear a lot of nurses saying, we've had to close our unit to go and support other other areas. Yeah. Because um, I've even had, I don't know if I told you, like one of my friends who works in sexual health, she's been drafted, she's been redeployed to her old respiratory unit and even, like she hasn't worked there in a certain amount of time and now she's got to go back like this anxiety around it mm. and again in terms of being ready I feel like you will be ready in terms of you mentally try and prepare the best you can but the competence you haven't done it for a long time do you, you remember do you remember to work at this pace yeah do you remember where the drugs are? Do you remember the calculations? How often do we give this? I mean, everything is obviously written down. Everything's always there always to be follow. To ask. But I think you always want to feel competent in yourself. You want to feel you can do it. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the kind of environment that we're in where the stress levels are high, the anxiety levels are high, and nurses are seen as cool, calm and collected. And you don't want to look frazzled and stressed because the patients you may be treating or not be treating kind of look to you to be calm for them to feel that they're safe. Do you, does that yeah, make no, sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, so... It's very, like, like we've been saying, testing times, this is something that we would never, ever dream of happening. Like, you hear about it in the history books and it's a shame that, you know, it's come to pass. But guys, we will prevail and we will live through this. It's going to be difficult, but again, this is where working together, working as a team... Even your friends and families who aren't nurses, who aren't medical professionals or or AHPs or even like your healthcare assistants, your nurse and associates. This is the time that we need them the most. Mm. So that when you come through that door, they ask you how work is and keep it moving. Mm. They will be your support, just like the same way we are. Definitely. Because we are all one team. The NHS is one team. And even if you're listening from abroad, your healthcare is one team. 
So please support them and do not leave your houses unless you need to, guys. Like, I cannot stress this enough. We need to reduce the rate that this is spreading. And I know for us nurses and doctors and everyone else, we can't do that. We have to continue going. So for the other, for the other people who are out there and who are listening, please stay home and do not go out unless you need to. Obviously, feel free to go to the shops if needs be. But if you don't need to, please stay home. Mm-hmm. Help us help you. I know it's probably a saying that you're seeing all over the gaff. But I cannot stress that enough. Mm. Enough. But yeah, guys, I think it's just something that you have to be ready for. And even thinking about this NHS Nightingale, who's going to staff it? Is this going to be the volunteers that people signed up for overnight? Like, I'm not really sure. So going on to um, staffing and NHS Nightingale is obviously the, the the main topic I think that we're going to kind of bring to fruition is the redeployment of nurses. Hmm. One of the big ones we're going to be discussing today. Do you think a lot of them will end up there? It's hard to know. It's very hard to know because you're getting press conference after press conference, yeah. but you're not getting much out of the press conference. No, and even when you look at community settings... Even though they may be their own standalone trust, they've still got links to specific trusts. So whether they'll be drafted in back into, like, the main acute trusts or they're going to be drafted in somewhere else. Like, who is NHS Nightingale going to fall under as a trust? Is it going to be a standalone trust? Who's going to stuff it? What's going to happen? Although I was saying this to my mum yesterday. So, yes, they fill all the 4,000 beds. When this is all over, how are we going to get people out of the hospital the makeshift hospital do you get what i mean like i just feel like it's gonna be it's gonna take such a long time and we don't know when this is going to end this could (sighs) looks like excel might be you know a new full a new full functioning hospital before we know it i think it's a contingency plan i almost think that video was never supposed to come out (laughs) and i think the person who did make the video probably quaking in their boots probably again raised more awareness at the enormity of what's happening and I don't think, like I've just said, I don't think it was supposed to come out. Yeah. In that sense. In terms of the NHS volunteers, if you look on the website, they're volunteers not for nursing. They're not to nurse they're patients. Not, they're like to be stuff, um, picking up medication for people that cannot leave the house. They're going to be phoning people that are lonely. That's really nice. Um, I think they're probably doing stuff like picking up food and delivering it to people if they need it. That's what they're doing. They're not doing anything nursing. Okay, because that was my thing, because I didn't really know too much about that. No, I don't think anything nursing. Um, In terms of the staff, staff for the NHS Nightingale, it's difficult to kind of know where they're going to get them from, just because they already say that we're short. Nationally, we are short 40,000 nurses. Prior to this. So we're already short, and then you're going to pull away from the hospital to come to this other hospital. So in that way, I kind of feel like we kind of just have to wait for Hancock to slam the hammer and decide what we're going to do with that. Yeah. But bringing us back to the redeployment. So for again, for our non-healthcare listeners, a redeployment is if you are a nurse working in a, I would say... A non-acute 
spe- speciality. Yes. So, for example, for me, I was doing safeguarding up until last week. And then I got the call saying, dun, 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 you've got to go back to A&E. Which is fine for me because that's my bread and butter. I've done it since I've qualified and I do love it. It's just daunting because it's like, I never expected this to happen. Mm. I thought like, you know, my career progression would go a completely different way. I didn't think we'll have such a pandemic that would result in me going back full time. So even mm. for someone like me, who's still does bank shifts in A&E and all sorts, I'm quaking. Because it's something that you just never expected. And I don't know for others how it's been, how they've been in terms of getting that call saying, you know, you've got to go to an acute ward. Like, for me, it's not too bad because I still I still do it. But imagine to that community nurse who hasn't been on the shop floor for like the last 20 years. So, yeah, there's um, a lot of nurses in the community who are having their services kind of limited to very specific needs so safeguarding and child protection and then health visiting teams are being kept and again minimal members of staff where they can possible Mm -hmm. so other staff members are being deployed so being sent back to clinical areas so these are can be wards these can be a children's ward it can be a mental health ward it could be a learning disability um respite place it can be outpatient there so people are being sent kind of where the need is yeah so it's like or as we already know they've lacked our registration so whether you you're peace trained adult trained mental health trained or learning disability trained they will pull you where the need is Mm. so i'm guessing that will be the same for like district nurses but they're still needed they are but i think they're gonna kind of restrict how many you need because i guess how many do you need going into houses true and do you have enough of the equipment for them to go into the house in the first place? Mate, don't get me started. I was talking to one of our friends who is works out in the community. I'm not going to say any names. And she was saying, like, PPE-wise, all they get given is... They might get given gloves and an apron. I am sorry. What is that going to protect you against? <sighs> so take a deep <laughs> breath. Do you know what? PPE. I think one thing I'm going to say, and I'd like to think a lot of people listening would agree with me, is the government at the moment in power are definitely eating their manifesto because all the cuts and the reductions that they made to the service are now haunting them, probably day and night. Because now there's a lot of resources that we need and we don't have. There's a lot of people that we need and we don't have. We had hospitals closed that we need. There, these are many things that are now coming to light that, wow, gosh, we now need these things. So going into the lack of resources for people in the community, I personally have spoken to health visitors. Again, these are nurses that work in the community with babies. Mm-hmm. And they have said they've run out of hand sanitizer. Um, Some health visitors are having to use kitchen roll and washing liquid to wipe things down in between in between patients when they were still having baby clinic um some of them are practicing agile working and agile working i mean working from home but some have been asked to go into their office spaces to do some work still so yeah 
So I know quite a lot of places I begin began to say close the doors. No, some people are still going in. So the issue is there's no universal approach yet. And I think because a lot of these um, agencies are being run by local authority. So people are kind Mm -hmm. of governing themselves as opposed to this is the government guidance, but then this is our guidance. So the government said this, we will support it to this point, but then our service needs this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the issue lies. Um, I work acutely, so I don't work in the community, but I can only imagine the stress of having to kind of reorganise your whole life and not having a time span of how long you're going to reorganise your life for. Um, Most community workers work relatively normal hours of like an eight to six or a nine to five and five days a week majority. Some still do... I'd say like seven days, six days, Monday to Sunday, Monday to Saturday type work. But most, like all of them don't work nights though. It's usually during the day. Yeah. So that I think in itself is going to be quite a shock to a lot of people who aren't very familiar with that life and haven't been, you know, their family life has changed. They've, are so they are so used to a different kind of structure and now they're dealing with, going to a new environment, having maybe childcare issues where you now have children at home and all the worries of now, before maybe I wasn't having a lot of contact with COVID and now I'm going to be going right into it. So redeployment, I think, is a really big concern in the nursing world. Yeah. Um, You don't hear a lot about it unless I think you are a nurse. Yeah, not much. You just hear like, yeah, you know, the government's getting this many nurses to go into this, but without really going into the depth. Mm. And I think also something to be aware of. I'm not sure. It depends on the trust that you guys work for. So I know my trust is also offering um, like redeployment sessions. So like if you haven't been clinical for like thousands of years, this is your chance to get a two day refresher. I understand two days is not enough because when you think about returning to nursing, I think it's like, you've got six months to do your clinical, no, to do your theory side. And two days is obviously not going to cut it, but this is, with what's going on, this is the the amount of time that they can really give for this. So again, I think that also redeployment also goes, also fits in pretty well with being a newly qualified nurse or a student nurse. Because it's like, you're about to do things you haven't done for years. Mm. Which is also just as daunting as being being a third year all over again because it's not your field anymore. Like, yes, you would have done stroke, hematology, respiratory, like, 10, 15 years ago. But now you're out in the community, that stuff doesn't even... Like, you don't even come into contact with that stuff. Mm. So to think that, you know, now you've got to go back onto that ward and do all this specialist stuff, I can imagine how daunting it will be. Definitely. And take into account that you're going back into an environment that you're not sure of and and almost being supervised by juniors. Yeah. So if you're a nurse who is an experienced nurse, someone that we would call a well-seasoned nurse, and you're going back to be, yes, supervised by juniors, that as well can affect some people. And in that sense, let's think of those juniors having to supervise those nurses as well. That pressure... Because the pressure, people are always going to feel like, oh, 
why is she doing this to me? Why is she doing that to me? Or why is he doing this to me? And why is he doing that to me? Guys, we've got to work as a team. This is a stressful time for everyone. We just need to come together in unison mm. and just do what we have to do as a group. Most definitely. Because depending on who you have working with you, you don't know the strengths and limitations that of your team. And especially if you know you've got certain team members who are good for doing certain things, utilise them. If it means that they've got to teach a newly qualified or help a nurse that's been redeployed to the woods back again, do it. Because at the end of the day, we have one goal, one goal only. And in terms of, like, being on those wards, I really just hope that your wards are giving you guys the right PPE equipment. And what I mean by PPE equipment, if you don't know, is personal protective equipment. So, for example, you've probably seen the pictures going online about the gowns, things you need to wear, the visors, the goggles, the face masks, what face masks you need, whether you need a normal surgical one or you need a respiratory face mask. And if you do, like, you've probably seen, also seen pictures of, um, like, nurses and doctors with, like, these gas mask-looking ones also. It's just those ones have giant filters that last for a very long time so that they don't need to be changed. They just need to be wiped down. And they're usually for one person only, but they can use it as many times as possible. So the main issue out there, mm. I think, was the lack of the lack personal of yeah. protective equipment. Um, the Royal College of Nursing, the director, did write a letter to the Prime Minister raising concerns about the lack of this equipment and the risk this poses not just to nurses, but to frontline NHS staff in total. Yeah. And um, they, if you are following the news, there has been some deliveries to NHS trusts of personal protective equipment. So the government, I think, are listening. But the issue is the demand is a lot and the need for them is a lot. And will we have enough? Yeah. Because think about it, if you've got, you know, four patients that all query COVID-19, you ideally should be stripping down and changing your PPE equipment as often as possible. For example, if they're all in a cubicle, when you come out of that cubicle, you've got to take off quite, like, pretty much nearly all of that equipment, no? And then you've got to go to the next one, gown up again. Is there a way that, like, we can... I'm not saying put a lax on this because COVID-19 looks like it sadly might be here to stay. But as in making sure that... We also have to, let's be honest. Yes, this is going through our cities, countries and all sorts. We still have to attempt to limit the amount of plastic usage that we have. Because... At the end of the day, what's going to happen to all this? I highly doubt that all this stuff is biodegradable. I know I'm probably going off on a tangent, but it's also another thing on people's hearts as well. Like, we've been taught for so long, you know, we've got to make the world green, do this, that and the other. And we are using a sheer load of PPE stuff. (laughs) A sheer load of PPE stuff. So... Is there a way we can combat it? I don't... Like, if I'm honest, guys, I really don't know. I just think 
there's a giant lack of PPE equipment. And especially for the people out there on the front line, like in A&E's and the certain wards, I think wards are getting more stuff before A&E departments. Um, and I'm not saying that's not fair. However, if you're in an A&E department, you don't know whether someone's got it or not. You've just been mm. told to prepare and do the best you can. So what, I'm now going to put myself at risk for not knowing whether patient A or patient B, C, D, E and F mm. have have coronavirus or not. Yeah. What's that going to do for me in my flimsy plastic apron and gloves and a surgical mask? And then it turns out that, you know, all those patients were positive and we were doing aerosol... What's the phrase they've been using? Aerosol-generating procedures. Because mm. we also got told that, for example, if your patient needs to be intubated... You've got to stop what you're doing, put, put all your PPE on before doing all of this. And also, I think the resource councils also said this too, that if you have a patient that's gone into cardiac arrest, before you start getting onto that chest and doing chest compressions, you've got to wear PPE equipment. Just just for the, the non-nursing listeners, to intubate a patient means to sedate them and put a tube down their mouth so that they can... Breathe on mechanical ventilation. But yeah, throwing it back to you. <laughs> just, just... No, no, that's just true. Just breaking it down for the people that aren't nurses. So you'll probably see it on Holby City, there's usually like a mouth that's been tied, tied incorrectly, but tied and that person's pretty much in a medic- medically induced coma to put their lungs or whatever it is to rest. But what are we going to like... I think the limit, the... Oh, no, I've gone blank. <laughs> what I was trying to say, sorry, guys, it's just come back to me. The amount of PPE equipment that we need to use and the amount of PPE equipment that we have is two very different things. Well, the issue was, do we have, did we ever have enough to begin with in the first place? Probably not. I can honestly tell you, this is going to sound so bad of me, when this first came out and it was still contained in China... I was like, oh, yeah, this is just going to blow over. We'll be fine. And then it came to, what, Italy? And thought, okay, it's getting a little bit closer, but we'll be fine. And then it came to Spain and a few other places, and you're just like, oh, okay, this is getting real. But then if you think about it, like, those would be the times that people should have been like, obviously we can never tell that this was going to come to the UK and hit us as badly as it has mm. but those should be the times that should be sending little things to our mind like hey maybe we should start getting our PPE stuff in order because it seems like people where people have travelled is where they're picking up from and where things are beginning to spread mm. people travel to the UK a lot not just London but all over the UK so for this for us to just sit there and seem I wouldn't necessarily say quite blasé but sit back and be like, oh, yeah, it's not going to hit us. You know, I'll see Marbella in the summer and that. I, I definitely think we have to acknowledge that there was a lack of preparation. And there was a 100%. big a big underestimation of the magnitude of this of this virus on everyone. There was no one, I think, nobody can say, oh, I knew it was going to be really bad. No. Yeah. Nobody knew the magnitude of the virus. And I think now that we do, or some of us do, now that we do, I think it's more reason for the support of the NHS, the support 
of people that are trying to alleviate symptoms, support the support of trying to reduce spread. Mm. And that brings me now to the testing of NHS staff. So when I read an article recently, they have said that they've actually trying to obtain testing kits and the plan is for them to be rolled out as soon as possible. There's query a test centre in Milton Keynes that will be like a drive-through kind of system for people to get tested. Would we have to go to Milton Keynes to get tested? Well, let's 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 just start with how did Charles get tested before members of the public? And What's you know who mean? I mean by Charles, Charlie, as in Prince Charles. How did he get tested before other people? Like these symptoms that he's... So what's been said in the news is that he had mild symptoms. So he had mild symptoms and I went to the hospital and said, yeah, I think I got corona. The thing about it is, I almost think it's good Charles has it because it reiterates the magnitude of what we're going through. Also, guys, we're not wishing bad on anyone. No, definitely not. But, like, for example, this is a person who is cleaned for, cleaned after. Everything is done for him. Where there is dirt, it's swept. Where it's dusty, it's polished. And he's still got it. So, like you said in, in episode one, this is a virus that knows no race, no class system, no age, no nothing. It's sweeping through the nation quite rapidly to mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so if that isn't a lesson to everybody, you know, he, the queen, all of them, they're 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 in a bubble. And, and yet still they've still have happened to have it and been exposed to it. So there is no limitations. But I think it makes you think the normal person can get it, right? And you're wearing your normal clothes. So the people who have PPE, surely they should be protected. 100%. Surely they, they should have maximum coverage. Surely. I mean, agree with me, don't agree with me, whatever. But to me, like, if I'm so covered up, there should be a limit. I shouldn't be able to catch it. I should not. And that should be the priority of the government, of the directors, of people that order and supply, whatever, whoever orders what. That should be the priority right now. Because as we speak, we're already short in terms of our frontline staff. If they start dwindling because they are sick and have to isolate, that is when the suffering increases. And also, again, that that also affects the nurse because you're now sitting at home, unwell, isolated, and your worries are so different. You're worrying about your colleagues who are struggling because you're thinking, gosh, they're, they're short and I'm at home and I'd love to be there to help them and I can't. You're then isolated within your home from maybe your family. So your support system, though it's there, it's far. Yeah. You don't want to infect them. You know? And I think that's the fear now because everyone, especially after lockdown, you feel like, okay, I may have spent, prior to this, I may have spent the weekend with so-and-so, oh, but now I feel like, you know, I might have symptoms. I also think the hysteria is also not helping mm. because obviously it's quite hard to tell from a cold and what you think, whether you've got coronavirus. Everything's just kind of said, you know, if you've got symptoms, just isolate, mm. which makes sense, but... You also have to risk assess. I'm not saying don't do it, guys. You should really, you should really isolate and quarantine and social distance and all that jazz. But 
you just need to be smart with it mm. and think, okay, if I haven't been in my, my home for a certain amount of time, it'll be best for me to stay in my room so that it stays contained. So that, inverted commas, I will be the dirty one and everyone else that's been in the home will be the clean one. Am I making sense? So that... Yes, you are making sense. So that that way, you're not... I, you're protecting yourself the best way possible so that certain things don't happen. Hmm. Because the last thing you want to do is to, what, get tested and be like, yeah, I think I might have... I think I might have it. One thing I did want to talk about, that nurse who... I think she looked after, like, eight corona... positive coronavirus patients and committed suicide. In which suicide. country? Yeah, in London. Okay, so this article came out yesterday. It's yesterday. Okay. And um, said a nurse in her 20s had been found, I think, unresponsive and... At work, no? At work. And unfortunately, she has passed away. Um, I didn't know the details about who she nursed, so I just know that she passed away. Uh, yeah, there wasn't really much details on these articles. It just pretty much said that, you know, she'd, she'd cared for positive coronavirus patients. And I think just the feeling alone of... I've cared for them, I could potentially have it. The last thing I want to do is take it home to so-and-so. It's quite big. And I think for us, that's probably another thing that we're facing because we're just like... Well, us... also, I'd say, like, nurses or any other professionals in accident and emergency, you're not just dealing with them, you're dealing with normal, everyday normal, really issues. Life. So the nurse in Italy who killed herself, her gripe was... I'm infecting people. Mm. I'm not actually helping them. I'm infecting them. I'm carrying this virus and I'm going to them and I'm infecting them. And apparently that is why she killed herself. So we already have two deaths from the workforce. And it does reiterate how fragile nurses or professionals are, as well as people at home, how fragile your mental state can be. But those who are going into battle, essentially, and are giving their 110% and are working so hard and putting themselves at risk, that the effects are like a waterfall. It's coming crashing down on them. Mm. And quite sadly, um, hearing that somebody felt that they couldn't live any longer because of what they saw or how they felt, it's very, very heartbreaking. It's very, very sad. Very... It's quite heartbreaking, to be honest. Because you just feel like, as a team, like, especially for as a nurse, well, I can only speak for myself right now, and say, like, you feel like you're doing the best you can, but you have to see so many things and be involved in so many things that you possibly feel like, am I actually doing a good job? Mm. Am, I, am I actually helping these people? Am I just going to continue sharing this out? Am I going to take this home? Am I going to take it to other family members and it's not like we're going out visiting people it's even just like people that you live with mm. the last thing I want to do is take it home to my family and I think Diane can say the same yes but you know we've still got to carry on with our normal day-to-day -day lives we still have to go out and again this is why I cannot stress to you guys that you guys have to stay home if you guys do not need to be out mm. and follow the rules that have been put in place because it's not just for to protect yourselves it protects us we're out here going to battle for you 
oh, and all we ask you to do is stay home. I don't see why that's so difficult. Mm. And I'm like, Boris has said it. You can go for walks. You can still do stuff. But just be wise with it. So, like, because I've seen lots of clips where people still going to, like, Hyde Park and stuff, having a drink and all sorts. Like, guys, you need to be smart. Not even be smart. Like, let's just be real. Stop being selfish. Learn to think about other people. Think before you make certain decisions. Mm. If I'm going outside, how does that impact my neighbour next door? Or how does that impact the person I may bump into? Yeah. Be very conscious of your decisions and be accountable for them. If you're choosing to do something, have the accountability. Know that I'm doing this because I want to do it and be beneficial because of this and that's it. I think people are being very reckless at times with their attitudes and their mindsets towards what's going on. Um, People seem to want to see the effects of the virus in front of them for them to appreciate the severity of it. And it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be that you need to see it to believe it. You should be hearing people dying. You should be seeing, you know, parents or relatives coming out and openly saying our families have passed or I'm infected. That should be enough for you to believe that this is not a conspiracy theory. And things like that, they come back and affect the National Health Service because it impacts on the message that we are trying to deliver of we want to stop spread. We want people to remain indoors. We want basically to stop this pandemic before it kind of reaches a point where we cannot stop it. And the effects already are are a lot in itself, let alone if we let it get out of control. Yeah. You know? I think it's just, we're just trying to stress to you guys that unless you need to be out, don't be out and protect yourselves and protect us and protect your families. Because um, we're not gonna we're not gonna fight this just on our own. The NHS is not gonna fight this on our own. It's a communal effort, guys. We are one team. That we have to work together and strive for the best. Yes. Um. Just to add to that, is for any nurses, student nurses, if you're unsure of what's going on or you want to have information on how directly this may affect you, go on to our nursing and midwifery council page. Um, You need to go on there online and just kind of keep up to date with any kind of changes that they may be making or any kind of information you need to know. Um, nmc.org.uk. And that could even be just for our non-healthcare professionals who just kind of want to see who governs the nurses and what are they doing to help and support them. It can give you a really good insight into how this is being managed from the inside. Yeah. So that will kind of be a good place for you to to look or to start. Um, Like I said on episode one, is continue to access credible 
up-to-date, accurate sources. So the World Health Organization, who use them, look through their guidance, apply whatever it is they're advising, if you can. Um, just be well informed, I would say. Um, in terms of general well-being, I think just for everybody and everyone listening, as well as our nurses, is listen to episodes like these. Um, just to get to involved in the conversation. So just ask questions, be inquisitive, find out things. Um, yeah, be well informed. I think that's the main message. Yeah. And for our student nurses and our qualified nurses, our newly qualified, um, it's okay not to be okay in this kind of a situation. Um, access the right forums for support and talk about things. I think don't hold a lot of things in because that alone can eat you up, you know, from inside out. And I think personally I've found if you're talking to other people and you're kind of sharing your fears or your anxieties or talking about what you think you may or may not see, you, you have a teammate in that sense because you can say, okay, we can kind of share this experience. Yeah. And take from it what you can, as mm. best as you can. Yeah. Because we're all one team at the end of the day. We're all fighting for the same cause. Whether yeah. you're here, there, north, south, west, yeah. we have the same end goal, which is to abolish yeah. COVID-19. And I think the NHS is important, but so are you that are listening. You're just as valuable to the cause. Even if you think, gosh, I'm bored. I've watched Netflix. I've jumped on House Party. I've watched every single snap. I've liked every picture on Instagram. <laughs> just by being inside you are doing something for someone else's health yeah and that's a very powerful thing to have you know and i think with that also if you are at home whether you're self-isolating or you're just at home working from home this is also your time to cook the food in the cookbook that you bought three three years ago pick up a new a new hobby whether it's knitting or reading a book sit in your garden Enjoy the lovely, wonderful weather that we're having because it's been quite nice out, which mm. is a shame we can't go out. Like, do the things that you never thought you could do or didn't think you had the time to do because, trust me, you have all the time in the world now. Mm. Like, maximise this time and obviously try to not see it as a detrimental thing but see it as more as, you know what, we're trying something new. Yeah, it means I've got to work home for, like, the next six months. But create a schedule... I think one thing, not that I've ever worked from home, but I think one piece of advice that I've had from unis, guys, don't work in your bedrooms because that's supposed to be your sanctuary. If you start doing all of this, it's just going to ruin it when you go back to bed later. Am I making sense? Like, use... If you're working from home, create a, create a set-up space and know, like, you know, this is your desk, this is where you are going to work, and stay there. But please remember to take breaks... Go for your walks outside, smell the fresh air and keep fit because it's, it's, really, it's really easy to get stiff by mm. sitting in one place for like seven hours, forgetting to eat, forgetting to cook, use the toilet. Just try the things that you didn't think that you could do or didn't think you had the time to do 
and also kick back and relax. Because trust me, if I could, if we could work from home, I so would, but we can't. So please somehow enjoy it for yourselves. Mm. So just to wrap up our episode, I will give a little insert into a nurse who has been redeployed. She was an author called Christy Watson and she is coming back to the workforce and this is what she had to say. Um, This is a community effort and a nursing family effort. Now more than ever, we are all in it together. This is not something I planned for, but I would do whatever is needed, wherever I am needed. I've always thought of nurses as heroes. This situation demonstrates that they are going above and beyond as they always have. And I think taking from what Christy Watson has said as a redeployed nurse, she was an author and has has come back to come and help. The main thing I think I want to take from what she said, and I want to leave with you guys as our last word, is this is not something I planned for, but I would do whatever is needed wherever I'm needed. This is the attitude that we should all have, we should all adopt. And if we think like this and embody this and live and breathe it, we will be able to overcome accordingly. So thank you guys for listening. This was episode two. I'm Dee. I'm Jerry. And we will and we will be back soon. Please continue to hit us up on our on Instagram, which is the Nursing Handover Podcast. And the email address if you guys have anything you want to discuss or you want any information or you just want to drop in and say hi, please email us on the nursing handover at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And feel free to also hit me and me and Diane up on Instagram. So my Instagram is at jellybean and Diane's is at DD Lutz. Wow, you knew mine, I didn't even know mine. <laughs> but yeah guys we'll see you on our next episode tune in share this spread the word and you guys are doing amazing jobs bye bye